There are certain things that people do that for some reason feel soothing. It could be sucking a thumb. For some people, it's pulling their hair. It can be all sorts of different sensory things, touching certain things, chewing gum, sucking their teeth. So you develop all sorts of these habits. Now, there are certain habits that people have that fall into this category where they seem to be grooming rituals gone awry but they give you this sort of dopamine hit. They also can become kind of compulsive. So this would be sort of hair pulling, skin picking is in one of those. Human beings develop these habits, these sensory habits that for some reason become self-soothing. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Hi, Robin. Happy New Year. Oh, it's not quite Happy New Year yet, but it will be soon. Close enough. Yeah, close enough. But you know what? I'm just going to say our Christmas was fabulous and delightful. And I really, just for the record, everybody, I don't dislike getting together with all of our great family members and having a great time. I just don't like shopping for Christmas presents. But even this year, I enjoyed the shopping. I had a wonderful Christmas this year. I'm so glad. Yeah, I did. It was really nice. It being on a Sunday actually helped because I took off the days at the end of the week and I went and did some shopping and I saw my parents and we had a great time as a family, didn't we? We did. Yeah. We had a lot of laughing. There was a lot of laughing. I grew up in a family that was not super jokey and silly. And now, you know, my holidays are filled with jokes and silliness and games. Yeah. It's definitely the way to go to people. If you don't like your Christmases or your holidays with your families, is you got to bring in a culture of jokes and silliness. Yeah, we just had a wonderful time. There was a lot of laughing. What we're going to talk about today, I think, is as relevant as it possibly could be. Mm -hmm. Breaking habits. I mean, because there's good habits and bad habits. Not all habits are bad, of course. What is something that you actually need to pay attention to? Is this a habit worth breaking? And should you be concerned about this habit or does it not matter? All things habits. That's what we're talking today. I'm going to take notes because your brother, my husband, told me I needed to take the swearing down a notch. Oh, really? Which is funny because when the kids were little, I never swore. And he would drop the bombs occasionally. Yeah. So it was like a joke that he would be the one to slip up. I haven't noticed that your swearing has increased. No, I think it has. Okay. And my kids don't swear and they're always like, mom. Oh. So there is that point where at some point they don't say mom and then they just repeat. We sort of swear. We don't swear that much. When my boys were little, they asked me about swearing. And so I told them that there are certain times to swear and not swear. And I told them that if we're home and they swear they're not going to really get in trouble. And my four-year-old at the time said with his blisp, okay, so that means that if dad puts dinner in front of me and it's really gross, I'm allowed to say, I'm not going to eat this shit. 
<laughs> Based on the rules I just laid out, I guess that's okay. Yeah, it was so funny. He was trying to be funny. He knew he was being funny. I think I have taken down my swearing because, for one, my mom says I'm not allowed to swear on the podcast. Oops. Well, that was I wasn't swearing. I was just telling a story. But she doesn't want me to drop any F-bombs on the podcast, which, if you know my mom, is kind of an ironic request, but I'm honoring it. Yeah. You've been restrained. There's only been a few. Yeah, I have. Well, and also in terms of habits, my habit that I have struggled with my whole life is that I pick at my fingers, like at my cuticles. I don't bite my nails and I don't bite my fingers, but you know, my fingers go after each other. And it's usually when I'm doing something that I'm really focused on, like when I'm writing or something, I can really go at it. And then once I start, it can get pretty bad. And I have broken that habit. And there have been other times of remission, but I am kicking butt in the not picking my fingers category as of now. I'm showing you my fingernails right now. If only everyone could see how gorgeous they are. I know they are. And can I say how I've broken the habit? I think you're about to share. Yeah. Okay. I'm about to share. So here's one of the strategies. If you have a habit that you're trying to break, one of the things that's perfectly appropriate and helpful to do is to find some way of making it impossible or harder to do the habit. So I started going and getting my nails done and I just discovered dips, which I know I'm new to this whole nail thing, but my nails don't get sharp. The edges of them are so dulled that I can't pick at my fingers. And once all my fingers heal up, I have no desire to pick my fingers. My fingers have been perfectly, fabulously unpicked since the book was published, actually, which was in October. Good for you. Yeah. The reason I tell you this is because this is a habit that I've had for a long time, and I feel completely fine. Like, I don't need to have some sort of moral judgment of like, well, you're cheating because you've done something to make it impossible for you to pick your fingers with these nails. That is a perfectly fine way to interrupt a habit. And sometimes that gives you enough momentum to keep it going, but it's also perfectly fine if I have to keep dips on my fingers for the rest of my life. I don't know if I'll do it for the rest of my life, but man, it's super effective. For those who don't know what dips are. Instead of them putting nail polish on your fingernails, you dip it into powder. I don't even know how it works, to be honest. You dip it into powder and then they put like this stuff over the powder and you just keep dipping your fingernails into this powder and it somehow makes polish. Have you ever had it done? Nope. Okay, well, maybe you should. But it's a different way of putting on the polish, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. But I have a feeling we're going to talk about other habits. We are. Yeah, That's. this isn't the end of the podcast. So thank you. That was... <laughs> Happy New Year! <laughs> Yay for me! Happy New Year, everybody! Good luck with your fingernails! Yeah, no, we can talk about other habits. Good habits. Yeah. One of the keys is we're talking about habits. When we're talking about good habits or bad habits, one of the things, if you look at the research on habits, it is perfectly fine to substitute one habit for another as long as it's moving you in the right direction. Or what would be another habit that you can think of that somebody might have, Robin? Uh, drinking to excess. Oh, that's a big habit. Okay, so that brings us to another category of the whole dopamine hit of habits. Well, when you said that, I know a lot of people, when they give up alcohol, they switch to caffeine. 
That's true. Actually, a lot of people who give up alcohol switch to sugar. Alcohol is a depressant and caffeine is a stimulant. So lots of times people are looking for the sugar hit that you get with alcohol. Okay. Yeah. I would highly recommend this book. If you haven't read this book, just because it's so interesting, Dopamine Nation by a psychiatrist named Anne Lemke, L-E-M-B-K-E, Anne Lemke. And she's also been on many podcasts and been interviewed a lot since the book came out. But what she talks about is a really helpful way to understand the physiologically powerful nature of habits. Because when you do a habit that feels good, and a lot of people do habits that they might not be great habits, and there's a long-term consequence, but they do a habit that feels good, you get a hit of dopamine. When I'm picking my fingers, it doesn't feel good afterwards. I mean, my fingers look crappy and oftentimes they would hurt because I'm picking at the cuticles, but it gives you this dopamine hit. And that's what you have to recognize. And so what oftentimes we do is we try and substitute a different habit that maybe doesn't have a consequence like drinking or picking your fingers that actually also gives you a dopamine hit. I know this friend who has this, probably like when you talk about that, very strange habit, not very detrimental. It's not really self-medication, but loved zippers and mm. loved playing with little zippers. And it was like a security blanket kind of thing. <laughs> this one little zipper on like a pillow. Uh-huh. And she, you could just see like, she's like, I'm going to go. F it was like a fidget spinner, right? Like I'm going to play with this zipper. Mm-hmm. Weird, right? A little weird. Yeah. So the question is, when did that become something that gave a dopamine hit to do? I guess it was something that was reoccurring that hardwired. How do you break it down such that touching a zipper for this person is going to create a dopamine reaction compared to like it, it wouldn't for you or I? I don't know exactly the answer to that question, but it just seems that there are certain things that people do that for some reason feel soothing. Part of a self-soothing process. Right. It could be sucking a thumb. It could be touching a zipper. For some people, it's pulling their hair. It can be all sorts of different sensory things, touching certain things, chewing gum, sucking their teeth. So you develop all sorts of these habits. Now, there are certain habits that people have that fall into this category where they seem to be grooming rituals gone awry, but they give you this sort of dopamine hit. They also can become kind of compulsive. So this would be sort of hair pulling, skin picking is in one of those. Human beings develop these habits, these sensory habits that for some reason become self-soothing. And lots of times people grow out of them. So little kids have them. And then as you become an adult, you grow out of them. But not everybody grows out of them. But it just becomes this habit where when she touches the zipper or when somebody twirls their hair or whatever, they get this dopamine hit in the brain. And when we look at addictions, like addictions to drugs or sex or pornography or alcohol, it's activating the dopamine system. And it's a powerful system in our brain that gives us this little hit of pleasure and then the more we do it, the more you need. That's when it becomes a problem. So if you're looking at some sort of habit you have, then you're looking at sort of how is your brain learning that that's a way that you get pleasure. You get a hit of pleasure. But now that I think about it, self-soothing is likely the intended goal for many of our habits. Sure. And there are these little self-soothing habits that you are just getting like this little hit of pleasure. This little thing that feels good. 
right? Now, then there are other kind of habits which are sort of bigger. And if it's a bad habit, like I have a bad habit of staying up too late and not getting enough sleep, or I have a bad habit of smoking, which you get addicted to the hit that you get from nicotine, or I have a bad habit of yelling, right? We did a podcast on yelling, and sometimes people say like, well, it's just a habit and I just can't help it. I was just talking to my husband about how weird it is that sometimes people just lie for no reason, like they just tell lies and you have this habit of lying. I don't know all these habits, like what's the meaning behind them or why do you do it? Why do people lie just for no reason? Maybe they're trying to embellish themselves or make themselves seem more accomplished or more grandiose. We can put it into the category of these self-soothing habits, right? Something that you do that gives you this little hit of pleasure or this big hit of pleasure. And then there are these other habits where these behavioral patterns that we do, even though the consequences are not great and yet we continue to do them. Those are sort of the habits we want to break. So what if somebody says, okay, so I have this habit of when my alarm goes off in the morning, I hit the snooze button seven times. And so then I miss my workout or I hit the snooze button so that then I'm rushing around in the morning and yelling at my kids. You know, or you want to establish a habit. I want to drink more water, but I don't do it. So there's all sorts of ways that these routines, both negative and positive, sort of show up in our lives. And then what do we do to get off that train? How do we correct and move away from a habit that we're not particularly interested in? Or that we want to continue doing because we recognize it's a little detrimental. Right. Let's take a break and talk more about that. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then, like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, and I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep, that is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. 
When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. Okay, Lynn, what were you saying? You know, I'm a big fan of asking how questions rather than why questions. I was just being interviewed on another podcast and the person on the podcast asked me, well, why do we procrastinate? She was saying she has a friend who has this habit of procrastinating. Why do we procrastinate? I said, well, there's a lot of reasons. There's perfectionism is tied to procrastination. But I said, the more interesting question that I would ask your friend, I said to her, is how does she procrastinate? How does she go through the process of delaying something that she needs to do to the point where it becomes really stressful and she misses a deadline or is freaking out about it. If I were to ask, well, how do I pick my fingers? People would want to say, well, why do you pick your fingers? And is it you're nervous? Or parents will ask me, you know, my son is biting his nails. Does that mean he's really anxious? Why does he do it? I think if we're looking to break the habit, the more interesting question is, how do you do it? And then here's the other question to ask is, how do you continue to do it even though you rationally say you don't want to? How do you continue to do this habit? And to think about that, how do you continue to procrastinate? Or how do you continue to yell at your kids? Or how do you continue to not drink enough water? Or how do you continue to smoke cigarettes when you want to quit? That's the question we want to ask. And that's when we begin to look at the chaining of events. So how many decisions do you have to make in order to keep it going? How many decisions do you make that you're consciously aware of? And how often do you just unconsciously or without even attention do something? So a lot of times those sensory habits, like me picking my finger or a child sucking their thumb or yelling at your kids. You're not really consciously thinking about, well, now I'm about to yell at my kids, but how do you blow through the warning signs or how do you not pay attention to the steps leading up to it? Say you want to stop the habit of staying up too late, right? You know that you really want to go to bed at 10 o'clock and you keep staying up until midnight. How do you make the decision at 10 o'clock to continue that habit? What do you say to yourself? How do you justify making that decision? And then if we say, okay, so how are we going to add a positive habit? So I want to drink more water or get outside and walk more often. What are you going to set up in your life that makes it easier for it to happen? So you take concrete steps to put things in place that are conscious reminders in either direction because we want to create awareness of the habit so it doesn't just move into that unconscious sort of automatic role that it has oftentimes. I think most habits obviously are done from that place and in that place. 
So it's bringing awareness, putting it under the microscope, breaking it up into parts, which you like to say a lot. I do like to say that a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before. Most moms stay up late because it's like, everyone's finally asleep and not bothering me. Mm -hmm. And I finally get to refuel my introverted tank. And I get to self-soothe by watching something on Netflix or whatever it is, right? So what do you do? Well, one of the things that happens a lot when we're doing a habit that has a negative consequence is that in the moment, we convince ourselves or delude ourselves into shifting it from a punishment into a reward. Mm. If you did a habit that had an immediate negative punishment, it would probably be easier to extinguish, right? So if every time I went to pick at my fingers, somebody came up behind me and smacked me across the head, it would get extinguished more easily. But the immediate consequence of picking at my fingers, it sort of did have this self-soothing thing to it. It was only later that I would be embarrassed about it or that my fingers were hurting when I was squeezing a lemon or something like that. When you're staying up late, when you're saying to yourself, I deserve this reward, you're convincing yourself that this habit that you have is a positive thing in the moment and you're ignoring the negative long-term consequence. Mm -hmm. One of the things we, the research showed with people who were smoking is that health consequences, long-term health consequences had virtually no impact on whether or not people would stop smoking. So there were all these campaigns to talk about what were the long-term health consequences or how does this make you feel or this or that didn't matter. So what did work was switching from cigarettes to chewing nicotine gum, for example. Correct. Well, plus they still got the nicotine having some sort of what we call symptom substitution or habit substitution. I did do a smoking thing with a woman and she stopped smoking and she was really proud of it. And I asked her how she stopped smoking. And she said that every time she had the urge to smoke, she just started taking a shot of gin. <laughs> that wasn't really effective. Yeah. Oh. What you want to look at is how can you either substitute something else in there or you also want to look at delaying the participation in the habit. Anytime that you can delay it, you're breaking that chain. And then the other thing you want to look at is if you're trying to develop a good habit, how are you going to put in some external reminders or some external accountability or some external support? So for example, when people are trying to exercise more, they want to develop a habit of exercising. They want to get that momentum going. Having a partner, having some sort of accountability having somebody who is going to remind you or show up, scheduling it, and there's going to be somebody else who's going to be waiting for you. All of those things are highly effective in developing a positive habit. I always need to drink more water. I just don't think about it in my job. I'm sitting in my office and I don't have water available. And so if I have a container in the refrigerator of water with some sort of yummy flavoring in it, either being at the metabolic reds that we had that we got that I love or putting lemon juice or something, and it's right in the refrigerator when I open the door, then I will remember. Otherwise, I forget. It's not like I'm opposed to drinking more water. I think that's a really good habit. I just forget. So I need something to remind me so that I develop that habit. And I'm fine with that. Yep. The other thing too is that you have to sometimes consciously get rid of the things 
that you will succumb to because saying no to something over and over and over and over again is really, really hard. So you want to remove it from your environment. So if you say, okay, I'm not going to eat so much chocolate or I'm going to really cut down on eating sugar. I ate so much sugar over the holidays. I'm not going to eat any sugar, but you have it in the house or you're baking things for other people in the family. That is really too much to ask your brain. So you have to find a way to get rid of the things. This is what they do in AA, right? We're going to change the people, places, and things so that we break up the pattern or the habit of it. All of those things are really fine to do. I've definitely given up sugar several times. I think you have too. Mm -hmm. First 24 to 48 hours, the first time you do it can be tough. Yeah, but I noticed that every time I've done it since then, it's actually been very easy. Mm -hmm. I've learned to, if you're especially going to go without something, just tell yourself in advance, the first 48 hours might be tricky. That's right. And what do you need around you to make it better? Have a ton of fruit in the fridge or whatever. Mm -hmm. That helps a lot. Yeah, this whole idea that to break a habit, you just need willpower or you just need to decide you're going to do it. You certainly have to decide you're going to do it, but then you want to put a lot of things in place that just make it easier for you to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Me going and getting dips on my nails is something that I'm doing on purpose to break a habit that I don't like. You know, you could say, oh, I should just decide that I'm going to do it. Well, it was hard for me. I, I, if I could have just decide that I was going to do it, I would have done it. If I had an incentive, when I was getting married, for example, I stopped doing it because I knew I was going to walk down the aisle and I wanted my fingers to look nice. It's okay for you to look and find these external things that will allow you to interrupt it. When we come back, let's talk about noticing habits in our kids. Mm-hmm. Hey, so the other day I had to change my car insurance. And guess what? I bought new car insurance and they sent me a check, right? So that you could buy something and get money back at the same time doesn't happen very often. And it's pretty darn fun. That's why you got to check out Ibotta. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop. On hundreds of items, from groceries to beauty supplies to toys, you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. So the average Ibotta user earns $256 a year. That's actually more than I got back on my car insurance, I'll tell you. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Other apps give you points that don't amount to too much. With Ibotta, just add your offers in the app, upload your receipt, and you get real cash that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. So join the 50 million users, earn cash back every time you shop. Over 2,700 brands, everybody. Retailers, including Lowe's, Sephora, Best Buy. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code FLUSTER when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use the code FLUSTER. That's I-B-O-T-T-A and use the code FLUSTER. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. 
So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. Okay, let's get back to this conversation. All right. So when we're noticing habits in our kids, a lot of people will ask me, is this a habit that I should break? Is this a problem? It's only a problem if it's a problem. That's my motto, right? So if you have a child who's sucking their thumb and they're about to get braces and they've been sucking their thumb and now they're 12 years old and the orthodontist is saying, look, if they keep sucking their thumb, they're just, they're pushing their front teeth out well, then you want to address it. But a little kid sucking their thumb or sucking one of their fingers as they're losing their teeth, most kids stop doing that. If your child has a blankie, I remember somebody asked me a question, you know, my child has this little blankie that they like to carry around. And at what age do we get rid of the blankie? Well, never, right? I mean, like if you're saying to them, you know, you can't bring your blankie to first grade, or it wouldn't be appropriate if we go visit somebody else's house for you to bring your stinky blankie. You can put limits around it. But if your child is doing something and the habit is interrupting or interfering, or if you're noticing that it's causing some sort of distress in a way that, for example, they're picking at their fingers or they're biting their fingernails or they have to do this habit where it feels like it's becoming more compulsive, then you want to talk about it. And the same rules apply is that you want to help them figure out a way to begin to interrupt it. So maybe you give them something else that they can suck on if they're sucking their thumb. You give them something else to do with their fingers if they're biting their fingernails, or you can even have them wear gloves for a period of time. It's okay to work on interrupting that habit, but don't freak out about things that you're particularly your little kids are doing that are really not interfering with their normal functioning. What are some of the habits that you have talked to with your clients over the years that you felt were problems? are more than habits are sort of the OCD spectrum disorders, which 
hair pulling, eyelash pulling, picking at things where they're causing bleeding and scarring. Those are more than habits. Those are OCD spectrum disorders. It's any kind of thing where there's rigidity. I had a child who had a blanket and they had to have that blanket with them at all times. And it meant that they had to bring the blanket to school. There are other things where I see where it's rigidity, where they have to sit in the same seat in the car all the time, or they're very controlling over how their bed is. Any of those kind of habits that seem to be rigid in a way that come across as controlling, then we're going to go after. How do you differentiate between a normal habit that might have a little rigidity to early signs of OCD patterns? We look at it developmentally. So little kids like things to be in a routine and they like to have a little stuffy in their bed. Or I remember when I was little, I had these two blankets that I liked to have in a certain order when they were put on top of me. I called them my kitties. I don't know why. But then as I got older, I sort of moved out of it. The way you tell whether or not it's becoming more of sort of an OCD thing is if there is great distress either when it can't happen or in anticipation of it not happening. So it takes up a lot of headspace in terms of preparation for it. Or they start saying, I can't sleep in my bed unless it's this exact way. If a little kid says, oh, I can't fall asleep unless I have my stuffy, right? That's a normal thing that little kids say. But if you've got a nine-year-old who says, I can't sleep in my bed unless all of my pillows are arranged in a certain way and my sheets are tucked in in a certain way, And then if it's not that way, it causes great distress. That's when you really want to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. Isn't it somewhat normal? I mean, it's been a long time since my kids were really young, but really young kids can be pretty rigid about their routines, which is very developmentally normal. Very developmentally normal. Up until a certain age. What age would you say that's all par for the course? Probably by the time they're five, I would say you want to start looking for the ability to be more flexible. But again, if your five-year-old loves their blankie, you don't have to take away their blankie. If your five-year-old loves to sleep with their little stuffy, you don't have to take away their stuffy. But you just want to notice the level of distress about it. Two, three, four, even five. By the time they're sort of in school, you want to see the ability to be flexible. The way you really want to pay attention to whether or not it's problematic is, is it interfering with sort of the normal functioning of the family? So is there a huge freak out if they can't have a certain thing? Uh, We were laughing at Christmas because my niece, when she was little, she really loved her pacifiers, which we call bippies. At one point, she had, I think about 14 to 17 bippies. We have a funny picture that she would have one in her mouth and then she had two little purses she would carry around that were full of bippies. She was like the most adorable little kid too. And we just laughed and my sister and I were laughing about it. And she's, you know, she's 24 now. She's not carrying around little purses full of bippies. And so she was able to sort of wean off them. You know, my sister said, you can't take your bippies out of the house. You can use your bippies when you're in the house or you can have your bippies when you're in bed at night because that's a normal thing for kids to have. If this little niece of mine was in third grade and she was carrying around 17 bippies and two purses, I think then we'd be like, okay, so this is kind of a problem. It's funny. So her cousin, my daughter, also was similar, but you might not remember that. And towards the end, 
like when she'd gone to preschool at three, there was a book about like, let the bippy go away and like give it to another child. We cut the bippy tips off. <laughs> we did everything. Yeah. And my daughter looked at me and she was like, eye rolling three year old, right? Mom, I'll give it up when I'm four, okay? And she turned but, four like four months later and literally without like any word, she was like, I'm done. I'm yeah. four. That was just crazy. So kids attach to and move into these habits, mm -hmm. sometimes as unpredictably as they might move out of them. Yeah. But the other question I have for you is with kids and getting back to the original introduction of thinking of habits as our conscious and unconscious methods of self-soothing. Mm-hmm. What are some positive habits of self-soothing that we can try and instill in our kids because we wish we had them? Oh, that's such a good question. I think it's perfectly fine to teach kids that when you're anxious or upset or tired or frustrated, it's totally fine to have some place that you go or something that you have that makes you feel okay, right? So it's totally fine to have a little blanket or to have some music that you listen to. There's research that shows that when people pet cats or pet dogs, it actually brings their blood pressure down. So when we're talking to kids about how when we're overstimulated or when there's too much going on or we're just worn out, what gives you a break? It might even be like having a cup of tea. All these symbolic things that we use. I just realized mine. And what? I started this as a very young little girl. Yeah. I started taking baths. Oh. We talked about this. You're a shower taker. I'm a bath taker. I yeah. mean, I take showers too. But to this day, I mean, I was a little girl and I would have a few toys in the bathtub with me and I would draw my own bath. It wasn't even like a it's nighttime and it's time to take a bath. Mm -hmm. It became part of something that throughout my whole life, when I just felt a little overwhelmed or whatever, I would go into the tub and that is how I would recalibrate and I still do it. Yeah. That's a wonderful, very concrete and direct message to give your kids because there are a lot of things that people can choose that are not so helpful. So you're feeling overwhelmed. You're feeling like you just need a break. And so you turn to a lot of things that maybe aren't so great to turn to. So people become emotional eaters or drinkers or binging on something like, I need a cigarette to be able to calm down. Taking a bath, taking a walk, having a cup of tea. Right. Be British. Like the British are all about like, let's put the tea kettle on. Yeah. You know, a cup of black tea is not going to be harmful. That's beneficial. Correct. When I was little, I had a cat from the time that I was seven to the when I was 25. And she was clearly something that I would seek out when I needed to be self-soothed. And I also had Orange Blanky. And I actually took Orange Blanky to college with me. It got smaller, but it was just this blanket that I had. I liked the way it smelt. I liked the way it felt. And it was just something that was soothing to me. It's really being able to say, I'm developing a habit that is not harmful in any way, and that can actually serve the purpose of being self-soothing in a positive way. And you still have cats. And I still have cats. I love kitties, and they serve a purpose. I don't have Orange Blanket anymore. My son actually took over Orange Blanky, and then it just disintegrated, and at the end, it was pretty rough. But 
Yeah, I loved Orange Blanky. It's kind of interesting where this conversation has evolved because there's some merit to being conscious about habits and modeling and verbalizing, especially if you have a healthier habit for coping and soothing, to talk about it more in front of your kids, Mm -hmm. to say, you know, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. I'm going to go and take a bath and I'll be back because they always make me feel better. Right. Like it would never have occurred to me to say that before this episode. But now I should say that because I'm bringing awareness that they're hearing of like, oh, well, that's what mom does when she's kind of overwhelmed. And Mm -hmm. the next time they feel overwhelmed, and I say, you want me to draw you a bath? Right. Think of the difference between saying like, oh, I have had such an overwhelming day. You know what? I just, I got to hit the wine. Like, give me that glass of wine. And People have glasses of wine when they get home. And I know like some of you are like, oh, here she goes on the alcohol thing again. But I'm telling you, the way you talk about the use of substances is a risk factor for our kids. And so if you say instead, oh, I had an overwhelming day, let me just go upstairs and I'm just going to listen to some music or, oh my gosh, I have not been out of the house all day. I'm so stressed. I'm just going to go for a walk then you are promoting healthy habits rather than modeling for your kids unhealthy habits. It reminds me, actually, there was this woman that I knew because I used to swim all the time. And so after work, I was on a master swim team, blah, blah, blah. And there was a woman in the locker room. I don't even remember her name anymore, but she was a swimmer at the Y. She said she had lost like 70 pounds and she would swim every day after work. And she said one of the habits she developed is that she would walk in the door after her swim and her husband would have a hot cup of tea waiting for her to drink while he prepared a healthy dinner. And that became her healthy routine, that she would go swimming, she would come home, she'd sit and have a cup of tea while they cooked dinner. And that was one of the secrets to her success. That was a routine. That was a healthy habit that she cultivated, right? You can come up with all sorts of really good things that just allow our brains and our bodies to feel soothed. It's not like I'm against people feeling soothed, but so that they're not these destructive ways. Not to plug your book, but I can't help but not reference in your new book, The Anxiety Audit, the final chapter is the difference between self-care and self-medication. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's such a great, insightful chapter for people who, even if they think their habits are relatively positive because they don't drink or they don't smoke, it's really important to think about, do you really know the difference? Are you genuinely practicing self-care and self-love? Mm-hmm. Right. And how are you modeling that for your kids? I mean, I think that that's a really important thing for us to think about. I grew up in the house where the parents would come home and say, what a day. I need a vodka soda. Mm. Yeah. And that's a very common thing that kids hear. The message that we want kids to hear when we're talking about developing positive habits or even modeling for them breaking negative habits is... How am I making a conscious decision to do something that in the long run is going to be a better choice versus in the short run, in the immediate run, is going to make me feel better or get rid of this feeling or help me with my stress? And so if you think about, you know, this is sort of New Year's resolution time, you may say to yourself, well, what's a habit that I want to develop or what's a habit that I want to break? 
then put some steps in place that are just going to make it easier for you to do it. That's what I want you to hear. You want to ignore the myth that it's all about the amount of willpower you have. Correct. Correct. I mean, you've got to make a conscious decision, but you want to put things in place that help. Say you want to start flossing your teeth more, right? Because they say, oh, you should floss your teeth more. Well, what are you going to do that's going to help you remember to do that? I'm seeing a pattern here. You're going to problem solve and you're going to take action. That's right. And you're going to put floss everywhere you tend to go. That's right. Well, because if it's there, just like the water sitting in the refrigerator or... The dental floss on your desk. The dental floss on your desk, right? The other thing that I really want people to know about breaking a habit is that it is okay to reset. So sometimes if you say, all right, so I'm going to floss my teeth every day, or I'm going to stop sugar, or I'm going to not stay up late at night, or I'm going to exercise every day. If you set it up in that all or nothing way, that becomes problematic too. And all or nothing is a pattern of anxiety. That's right. All or nothing thinking. Right. Because it's rigidity. So, oh, so I said I was going to floss my teeth every day and now I forgot to do it for the last four days. So forget it. I can't do this. No, you just start up again, right? It's just making those adjustments, coming back to it, coming back to it, coming back to it. Me drinking water or stretching, that's another thing I constantly need to pay attention to. I've got to stretch more. I want to stretch more. I forget to stretch all the time. And there are certain things that I'll do that will help me remember to stretch. Or make me accountable. Like if I leave the gym and I say, oh, I don't have enough time to stretch. I'm going to leave the gym. And then I'll say to the person who is our trainer, Kim, I'll say, I'm going to stretch when I get home and I'm going to text you. She'll say, okay. And then it just stays on my mind until I text her and say, I stretched. That is a little trick. That's just a little way to make me accountable and helps to remind me to do it. All those tricks, all those games we play, that's how we create and break habits. Very good tip for a very good weekend where we're all thinking about our resolutions. It's true. I love this because this is really not about the very grandiose resolutions that are so common for people, but to really unpack your day and think about all the ways that you self-soothe or respond to stress. What are you doing on a way that you're modeling in front of your family that you're saying that's what you do to respond to stress? It's a great audit, shall we say. That's right. And if you let your family know or you let other people know that you're working on it, then that also helps to hold you accountable and it also allows you to have support. I mean, seriously, I am showing my nails off all the time. I'm like, look at me. I'm so proud of myself. And when I say, although the males in my house could care less about my fingernails. But when I say like, look, I'm look at what I'm doing. Look at how great they look. Look at how I'm not picking my fingers. I am giving myself a little praise. I'm giving myself a little boost. Mm. Well, I'm proud of you, Lynn. Thank you, Robin. If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, 
is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.